0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andron Matysak, and I work as a deputy head of foreign desk in slovak devi Prada, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not russian proud. Julian Ringhoff is a policy fellow with the European Power Program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. His research focuses on the implications of digital and emerging technologies for international affairs. He just published an article titled, The Age of Ego Politics, Elon Musk and the Power of the Tech Giants. With that in mind, I thought that it would be interesting to interview Julian, and I think that our conversation doesn't disappoint. We talked about Elon Musk and Ukraine in Starlink, about Elon Musk in Twitter, and also about Elon Musk and his visions. Should we be afraid of the intentions of the richest person in the world? Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. Thank you for the link. See also a description of this episode. And now up to the new debate. For the European Council on Foreign Relations, you just wrote an article titled The Age of Eco-Politics: Elon Musk and the Power of the Tech Giants. And there are many discussions regarding Musk's basic Starlink satellite internet terminals related to Russia invasion. So let's start with this topic. How important? is startling for Ukraine in Kiev's effort to defend the country.
1: Thank you very much for reaching out. And uh, I think it's indeed a very timely discussion to have. So. Um... I mean of course in let's say in the details it's difficult to say how big the impact is on Kiev's or Ukraine's overall effort to defend itself but I think it's it's pretty obvious that it plays at least a relevant role in that context it's it's important to mention that just one hour before the invasion the Russian cyber command actually managed to hack the Viasat satellite internet system, probably aiming at preventing Ukrainian military from communications. Uh, this had effects long beyond Ukraine. I mean, there were wind turbines not functioning anymore in Germany because they were using the system. But this was actually one of the few very successful cyber attacks of Russia in this context. Else, they've not been very successful. But it shows that Russia understood satellite communication it could be important for Ukraine. And that's why this decision by Elon Musk to provide Starlink to Ukraine uh, already seems quite important. And uh, I think it has helped Ukraine in a, in a few areas. It certainly has helped the government to stay online, also in its very successful communication efforts to the rest of the world. I mean, Zelensky, of course, was connected with calls to parliaments all across the world. Whether he used Starlink for this or not, we we don't know. I heard that for some, some of this stuff it was used, but certainly it was a security guarantee that they can stay online. And then also, of course, for military communications, they were using Starlink and they were using it for coordinating drone attacks. And some of this was organized by the government. But there's also a lot of individual and volunteer actors who have purchased Starlink systems and donated them to a Ukrainian military, because certainly it has an impact, especially in the more rural areas of Ukraine, where you don't have internet connection in general. What would Ukraine do without Starlink? What effect would it have? I mean, as I said, it's hard to say. I'm not a military expert, but of course, these military campaigns, a lot of factors play a role. I mean, it's infantry, it's drone attacks, it's artillery, and uh, I'm not sure, but for let's say infantry and artillery, it certainly plays a role. I think it plays a a big role for the drone attacks to coordinate them well and, and to share information. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, certainly uh, it would be difficult to replace Starlink very quickly because once you have like established a system and a lot of forces are using it, just switching it would be very difficult. But I, I don't think Elon Musk would just stop providing Starlink to Ukraine for all kinds of reasons. The backlash would be huge politically, also economically. I think it would have a big impact, but I don't think it's going to happen that he will stop providing it to Ukraine anytime soon. Are there any good alternatives to the Starlink network that
0: Ukraine would be able to use relatively quickly if anything would happen to Starlink?
1: Yeah. I think this question is its actually quite funny because it points exactly at the fact how successful Musk has been in promoting Starlink. Because there are uh, quite a few alternative systems, but no one knows them. So it's because Musk is he's a, a marketing genius. I mean, he, he uh, shot a Tesla car into space. Uh, I, uh, who does that? So there are alternatives. The one that I mentioned at the beginning, Viasat, is actually one of them. Of course, Ukraine couldn't use them because uh, it was hacked. But Viasat, for example, has in the US last year had more users than Starlink. There's three or four other alternatives. One is called HughesNet. The main differences they have is the connection speeds and the latency. And these things are important in some contexts. For example, in, let's say, gaming, you want to have low latency. But for basic communication, it doesn't really make a huge difference. So technically, Ukraine could be using other other systems outside of Starlink. It's just uh, Starlink has been relatively good at defending uh, possible cyber attacks, which Viasat has not. So yeah, there are alternatives we tend to forget because Musk is, is good at communicating his success and then lastly uh, i mean the european union a year ago or so decided to also develop its own system the system is not ready yet but it's i mean already before the war started there was an awareness that these communication systems are so crucial for for politics that having an independent system could become important at some point and i think this conflict in ukraine illustrates the point what do we know about if anything about
0: the efforts of russia or maybe some other actors, but I would say the predominant Russia in this context, trying to shut down Starlink somehow.
1: Of course, these things are very hard to know uh, in the details. I've read that Russia has threatened to shoot down satellites, and I'm sure they are trying to to hack them. But it's it's actually it's quite difficult to launch successful cyber attacks. Very. Uh, uh let's say rapidly. Normally, cyber attacks need a lot of preparation. This is also it's generally a very interesting topic. This is why why Russia has not been so successful in the Ukraine. Biasat, you know, Assad was already an established system. This attack, while it was triggered one hour before the invasion, it was prepared maybe months before. So the way this works is you basically put the malware, the virus into the system because it takes a lot of time to prepare and then you trigger it when you need it. But with Starlink, Starlink only came to Ukraine like in the war and then starting attack in a short period of time is very difficult. But and I'm also assuming, I think Musk is generally known to have pretty good employees who are very highly motivated. So I think they're also doing well in defending these things, but it's probably a mix of factors. I'm sure Russia was trying or is trying.
0: You said, and we all know that, and it's quite obvious that uh, Elon Musk is very good at promoting himself and, of course, his products. Why do you think that Musk decided to provide starving to Ukraine? And maybe if you can say a little bit more also, you mentioned that, but about how do you see his claim that he can shut it down?
1: I think, I mean, there has been a lot of discussions on mass motivation also in the context of Twitter, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I actually think he has a pretty interesting idea of politics. You know, I, and and this is reflected in what he's doing. So I think he's he can be considered libertarian. He's rather moderate. He also kind of identifies himself with this uh, movement, they call it long-termism. So where he believes the main goal of politics or of us should be to ensure as many people uh, as many humans can live as long as possible and he thinks that technology is the solution to this so what does this mean in in this context of ukraine i think because he's like a libertarian and and freedom of speech and freedom in other areas is important to him i think he does have some ideology driving him to say okay we need to defend ukraine against russia because uh, this is also about freedom But at the same time, he does favor a multipolar world where he does not want any government or any country to have too much power. So in that regard, he's actually not opposing Russia entirely at the global stage because he doesn't want the U.S. or China by itself to have too much power. So, And this is true in international politics and in national politics. He just uh, tweeted ahead of the midterm elections, uh, let me quote, To independent voters, shared power curbs the worst excess of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for Republican Congress. So, this is not because he's in favor of Republicans, but because he wants to have shared power so that politics in general doesn't have too much influence. And I think this is true on the national and international landscape. He wants politics to have as little impact as possible. He thinks politics should only look at how can we ensure as many people live as long as possible and ideally they're somewhat happy but that's it so this is a libertarian approach and then in addition to all of this start, like providing starlink to ukraine was huge marketing campaign it's really successful in that and yeah it's uh, and even this plays into it you know he starlink it's, it's just a means to an end for him musk wants to wants our species to live as long as possible. For this, he thinks we have to be a multi-planar uh, species. We have to live on multiple planets. That's why he founded SpaceX. But SpaceX, can only, SpaceX needs to make money to survive. And Starlink brings in that money. And, and I think we can talk about this again in the Twitter context. I think he's really driven by his own vision and ideology. And he has found ways to have business models support this. And Starling is an example of this.
0: It's interesting what we're saying, because, for example, when he tweeted out that, OK, I'm voting for Republicans, you, you said that he's probably another real Republican, which I would agree. But don't you think that him being a businessman, he's just voting for the party? He might expect that uh, he will pay but if they are in power, he will pay less taxes and there will be less regulation for businesses like his business.
1: I certainly think he's not Republican because, I mean, I don't know his personal views, but I'm pretty sure that he, it would be interesting, maybe someone has written about this, but I'm pretty sure he's opposing uh, what the Republicans are doing in terms of abortion. Because this is also, I mean, this is a contradiction in Republicans anyway. On one side, they're saying we don't want too much government interference. And then in one of the most fundamental questions, which is uh, whether women can decide to have an abortion or not, the government is interfering. And Musk doesn't want government to interfere. He wants people to live as long and as happy as possible. And if they decide to have an abortion, they, I, I'm assuming this would be opinion. So I think in some areas, he's very much against Republicans, wherever Republicans want a strong state. And and also, I'm sure that he's against Republican hawkishness against Russia and China because he wants a multipolar world, whereas Republicans, even more than the Democrats, believe that uh, American hegemonic leadership is important. I think in, in some ways he supports Republican views and some others Democratic views. And then with even with regard to the, the tax thing that you mentioned, I think he sees, as I said, taxes or tax policy and money only as a means. If he thinks he needs these tax curbs to forward his vision for the world, let's say, then he will use them. But if the same tax curbs would undermine, let's say, social development, then I think he would probably be against it. So at the end of the day, what's driving him is really a vision that is not too much based on money, but he needs money to realize it. And then sometimes tax uh, curbs can can help with that, but not necessarily. I'm sure, for example, he would be against it's a good question we can research this but i'm sure he's against tuition or fees for university that are too high because he wants people to be able to get a degree which is a bit uh, more of a, a socialist view in american terms so i think it's it's not that easy he doesn't really fit into one of the two political parties like many uh, silicon valley people i think when it comes to social policy they're more on the uh, democratic side when it comes to tax and so on they're probably more on the republican side they're kind of many of them are libertarians so they're like yeah i don't know my view is if i
0: may just uh, if you are talking about things like abortion or more social issues lgbtq for example i just think that Elon musk at the end he doesn't care much about those issues because if he would care i would think he would be talking about it his view might be different than republicans Yeah. But now he has the biggest bullhorn in the world, basically, because he's the richest person in the world and also somebody who is often willing, as we are discussing, to step into the public debate. So no matter of the commercial side of the deal, what do you think of uh, Musk's purchase of Twitter? Do you think that, that with such a tool, he might be tempted to affect the public discourse
1: even more? maybe one more word on what you said before because i think it's really interesting you know i actually read the musk uh, biography 5 6 years ago before he became even more famous and uh, there was a very interesting passage in there where it was saying musk i think he has i mean he has some form of autism or he has some i think he's not he's not the most empathetic person. And this is also why he's maybe not engaging in these, let's say, more personal, emotional topics. And in this book, it was saying that Musk cares for his closest family as much or as little as he cares for the rest of, of humanity. To him, he doesn't really make a big difference on whether you're his friend or you're some other human. At the end of the day, he just thinks humanity needs to survive. He's not very empathetic, and maybe he doesn't engage in these uh, in these conversations too much. But then uh, on, on Twitter, he didn't buy it for economic reasons. I think he always thinks in economic terms because he knows else he cannot sustain Twitter. So he he knows he needs to have a sustainable business model. But at the end of the day, this is also to support his vision. And his vision is that there has to be a, a forum where people can engage with one another as freely as possible. But he had an interesting exchange also with Jack Dorsey on this, the former CEO of Twitter. They both kind of wanted to take Twitter away from the stock market, to have it more independent from financial pressures. He does that also. SpaceX is also not uh, publicly listed because he doesn't want too much, let's say, uh, financial pressures to be exerted on his vision. And uh, so he's doing the same with Twitter because he thinks this also this advertisement model, both him and Jack Dorsey think it's not good for Twitter. It's kind of how Twitter has evolved because a lot of, let's say, platform capitalism. Uh, well, all of platform cat- capitalism works that way. But I think they think it's not good for their vision of this free space for an exchange of ideas. And this is where also, and I really, I really don't understand this. He had like this this um, debate with uh, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, uh, AOC, where she was complaining that he's charging eight dollars now for this blue check mark. And I'm like, how can you complain about this? Everyone's saying, it, especially on the progressive side, most people are saying this business-supported or this advertisement-supported business model is bad for these social media platforms. Francis Hogan also said this. This, this, and I'm convinced of this. This business model is creating a lot of the problems that we see. Because you need as much engagement as possible for these ads to sell, and you get as much engagement as possible with, with very extreme content. And that's what creates a lot of the issues that we have. So moving away from this advertisement-driven business model could, I think, is an important aspect to get it to more, let's say, um, peaceful place for exchange. And in that context, charging people for using Twitter, I think is a good idea. I mean, how you charge them and whether there's some way of uh, differentiating uh, depending on regions and and on income. I understand what you are saying and I would also agree, but I think that the idea was so half-baked
0: and they tried to implement it so quickly that, that there was a... (laughs) I think, kind of understandable backlash. Don't you think so? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I mean, so I, I think my general take on this is that I think he has often has good intentions, but that doesn't mean that it leads to good outcomes. I think what you just mentioned, it's also a contradiction in a way, because on one side, he wants to get rid of all of those bots and trolls on Twitter, which is a good thing, because they are creating a lot of the problems that we have. At the same time, uh, like this uh, authentication process is very problematic because it can actually infringe on people's ability to voice their opinions publicly. I mean, there has been a lot of debate in the digital policy uh, expert domain on this where politicians often suggest, "Okay, we need we need to bind accounts to actual identities so that people feel less inclined that they can just share violent content because then you can track them. And on that side, I would say that's maybe a good thing, but in a lot of regions in the world, it's really bad if activists need to identify themselves because it will be used against them. And I'm pretty sure that Musk would not want that to happen. So it's just, and this is what I think is a problem with his approach. He thinks that that technology can solve all of these problems, and I don't agree
0: so you and one last thing you mentioned maybe his vision for the future like humanity living much longer and so on we also said that you know he has some intentions i will use this very cliche phrase the road to hell is paved with good intentions so yeah. should we be somehow afraid of Elon Musk's intentions and if so should we be try to moderate him
1: You know, it would be really interesting to talk to him about this, because he doesn't want anyone to have too much power, and the question is, does it include himself? Yeah, Um, that's a very good point. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I may even think that he himself thinks he should not have too much power, but he's just so convinced that his ideas are the right ideas, and his ideas have been good ideas in the past, as we can see. What that means for me, as I believe in democracy, and I'm not a libertarian who thinks government should not intervene as little as possible, I think government's role is to represent the interests of its citizens against too much power of individual actors. And that means that policymakers need to use legislative tools to curb the power of two powerful people. This is true in competition policy. And this is even liberals, like most economic liberals agree that you need competition policy, so that markets can serve the interests of people. And so you don't want to have too much market power in one hand. And then you also have this issue of, let's say, moderation on what happens on digital platforms. And I think there you also certainly need more than just algorithmic solutions, which is what Must thinks. Everything can be solved with technology. I think there needs to be an oversight of these algorithms, because even if they're well-intended, you know, technology is not neutral. That's a boring sentence, I know, but you know, when you develop technology, you're doing it with a certain view on the world. And even if you have good intentions, often like subconscious approaches to looking at the world will influence how you develop an algorithm. And these algorithms are so powerful that they need to have a democratic oversight. This has to be done by policymakers. They are the democratic oversight. And so that's why I think the Digital Services Act of the EU is a good approach to this, where you really ensure platforms are held responsible for violent content. And even more importantly, and I think Musk may even agree with that, that researchers can access Twitter's and Facebook's algorithms and data to see how they are working. And Musk, actually, when he met with uh, Breton, the commissioner on technology, he said, I mean, you know, you never know if if he really meant that, but he said, I agree with everything that you said to Breton when Breton explained the Digital Services Act. I'm sure he doesn't agree with everything, but I think he will not have anything, I don't think he has anything against researchers betting how the algorithms work of Twitter, because he himself said that he wants to maybe open source Twitter's algorithms, which is basically a more drastic step even.
0: This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.